GP Insights, a health cert podcast. Practical advice for busy GPs on how to treat with confidence and grow their practice. Excellent. Welcome to another episode of the Health Cert GP Insights podcast. Today we are discussing overfilled syndrome with Elle Curry, co-founder of Aesthetic Met, Australia's first 24-7 complication and safety support service for all aesthetic practitioners. Thanks for joining us, Elle. No, thank you for having me again. In an earlier episode, we discussed psychological conditions and body dysmorphia and naturally overfilled appearances came up. So what is overfilled syndrome and how does it occur? Yeah, sure. So overfilled syndrome is very much referring to, I guess, patients that have been treated with dermal fillers. Um, not any specific type of dermal fillers, just any kind of soft tissue fillers in general. Um, and it's obviously naturally by the name of it referring to the fact that there's been too much placed in that individual. Um, now, in terms of, I guess, how this happens, it's there's I think it's not one particular factor that is involved in terms of overfilled syndrome. I think it's multifactorial. Um, and in fact, we actually had a, a really great discussion with the AMED advisors um, recently about this exact topic, just kind of discussing what their thoughts were with regards to overfilling patients because, you know, it, it, is, it is a problem. It is a real problem. And it's obviously there's not much literature behind um, the, I guess, the issue, I guess, suppose in, in the industry. So, and I think they all had like really, really great points. So when we were talking to obviously um, Greg Goodman, he actually discussed and raised a really good point about falling into the trap of longevity of fillers. And I think that's a really key element to um, overfilling, I think. I think some mm. practitioners actually don't understand that even hyaluronic acid fillers, the time in which they can actually hang around. Um, and I think it's obviously naturally the, the pharmaceutical companies will have their data and they will, they will let us know that a product will only last six months in a lip or it might last nine to 24 months in a cheek. Um, but in actual fact, yeah, longevity really has a lot more to do with, I guess, how much you're injecting as well as the anatomical placement of that. Um, and then the individual characteristics of that, of that patient's face as well. So there's a lot of factors there that I think people need to understand that the fillers last a lot longer than what, they're, what they think they do or what they've been told that they do. Um, certainly, obviously, as we talked about the body dysmorphia, that certainly is, is an element there. Um, and I think that that's a whole nother, you know, obviously your listeners can listen to that, that podcast previously when, when looking at kind of recognising, I suppose, the signs and symptoms and then how to kind of, you know, I suppose, turn those patients away as well, I think is really important from a psychosocial standpoint. Um, but I think Peter Callan refers to the boiled frog analogy, which I think is a fantastic analogy. And I think he talks about, well, if you put a frog straight into boiling water, it's going to jump straight out, right? But if you put a frog into cold water and then slowly bring it to the boil, it will cook, right? And so I think there's an element of just doing constantly doing little bits and little bits and little bits you know and it may only be six months apart you know it may be deemed appropriate time length by you know most people's standards or the pharmaceutical company standards but in actual fact we're always constantly layering on top of residual filler from previously even if we can't see it from the surface so I think there's a lot of different factors involved and I think it comes down to very much the practitioners I suppose being educated and, and understanding how these soft tissue fillers work and also in line with the anatomy. 
absolutely. Like you said, multifaceted, many aspects to consider. <laughs> yes. Um, so it's something that we've probably all seen, but exactly how prevalent is it? Oh, look, I mean, I haven't found any kind of statistical data on overfilled syndrome, and I, and I suppose there's very much a subjectivity to that. It's what, you know, each of us deems to be an overfilled um, face. I certainly see a lot more overfilled people than probably, you know, um, what, you know, the, the lay person might see. So, you know, there's certainly a lot of clients and I'm sure a lot of practitioners can attest to that, that they will see people that have definitely far too much filler in their lips, but, you know, perhaps the average person wouldn't notice that so much. Um, however, you know, in terms of the true, truly overfilled people, so those that really their cheeks are so augmented and distorted and look, that's less so, but there's certainly people, you know, on the path to potentially becoming that um, in that sort of state, unfortunately. Um, and whilst it's not necessarily, you know, a really commonplace thing, it, it is still more prevalent than what I think it, it really should be. But I think that there is a lot more awareness now, like, you know, in terms of the longevity fillers, there's a lot more people talking about how long fillers do actually last now. So I think, you know, I'm sort of hopefully thinking we're going to turn a corner a little bit and actually pull back from the volumes that we're using. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you mentioned going slowly and sort of injecting little bits at a time. Are there any other techniques that doctors and aesthetic practitioners can use when injecting to help avoid this? Yes, yes, yeah, certainly. So I think, you know, absolutely the psychosocial element of it. I think you need to really find out what the driver is for that patient in having these treatments. I think that's a really core, crucial component of any consultation. It's understanding why, what is it that they're looking at achieving and understanding their expectations, first and foremost. Secondly, you absolutely need to understand and respect individual anatomy, right, as well as understanding aesthetic proportions and principles. So, what we see a lot in social media is there are themes, right, and having a really beautiful chiselled jawline. It's a lovely theme and we get all these wonderful side profiles and they've got these such great angles and it looks amazing on the side, but what we lack is actually seeing that same patient from the front, right? And the lower face is really important just in this example in terms of the overall facial shape. It's the determinant of the overall facial shape, but we're, all we're focusing on is one viewpoint of that face and I think we need to start looking at the whole so if somebody in their 20s right who hasn't yet you know they're, they're not looking at age related changes to their face their bony loss hasn't really started to occur they may have a congenital kind of lack of bone or less bone than, than maybe some of their their colleagues or their friends but that's just their face right so you know ideally if you have somebody in their 20s coming in wanting a defined jawline who doesn't have any definition to put a lot of product in there to give them a jawline that they never had, you know, you actually run the risk of obviously distorting how their face looks, their facial shape, absolutely. But secondly, you actually could potentially age them, you know, that that will become heavier, right? And so that, that filler will last for quite some time. Um, and it's not that uncommon that I hear of people actually coming in, they've gotten their jawline, and they end up getting it dissolved because it just doesn't suit them, right? And so I think it's understanding 
not going in with a preconceived notion or agenda of what we would like to achieve in terms of, you know, definition and everything. It's just actually looking at their face and working with what you have. And, yes, enhancing certain things but not aiming for an Angelina Jolie jawline when, you know, you don't have that face. So I think that's really, really important. Absolutely. Now, we did cover this in the previous podcast, but it's still really helpful for practitioners to get practical tips. So how would you approach um, discouraging an overzealous patient or trying to um, gently <laughs> explain the yeah. situation yeah. to them? Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think what we need to first and foremost, I guess, remember as practitioners is to actually take away, you know, there's a lot of judgment, I think, on people that look overfilled right and there's a lot of and, and I think just as humans we we judge I think everyone likes to think that they, they might think that they don't but they do we all we all judge right and I think it's really important that we try to just take that away and bring it back to this person as a whole so they came in originally in their journey to feel better and to feel well right and to feel better in themselves and somewhere along that journey that's gone off in the wrong path right and yeah at the end of the day I look at I, I don't I don't blame the patients I look at there was a practitioner behind each and every one of those treatments that didn't say no right and so you know and it's not to say that every one of those practitioners just wanted to put more filler in there for the money that that's not it either right I know firsthand it's really hard to say no and sometimes these clients they're just you know and as healthcare practitioners we we really want to make people feel better and to feel well. And these people are struggling, right, with their, their emotional processing of their appearance. So we want to make them feel better. And then there's part of it that we know we should say no sometimes, but you know that if you do say no, that person is going to go somewhere else and get three or four meals. So there's this kind of ethical battle in your head that am I better off just to do a half a meal and keep them happy and not have them go somewhere where they're going to absolutely ruin their face? And I think that's really tricky, but I've, I've learned that doesn't actually help, right? You need to just have a really open and honest and empathetic discussion with them and just understand that what they're going through is really difficult. But, you know, our aim is to make them feel better after the treatment. And at the moment, and I had a discussion with probably one of the most overfilled clients that came into the clinic um, that I've probably ever seen actually in, in my injecting career. Um, and the first thing I had was just sadness, like for her. So she was obviously really struggling and obviously, you know, hadn't had and maybe had had some practitioners that had spent the time there. But, you know, there were a lot of red flags even on the paperwork that was, you know, Virtually nothing was filled out. She had no medical history, no medications, no anything, very blasé, very top line with her answers. And I just knew that she was obviously hiding some things there, right? Um, and she was a beautiful girl underneath all of this filler, like stunning. And so I had a really honest and candid discussion with her and just sort of scaled it back and I, I listened to her first. So I first and foremost asked her what has brought her in today. And she told me, of course, she was wanting some more on her lips and then some more in her cheeks. And then when I sort of said, no, no, straight away, she went, well, what about this area? And I said, right, let's, let's have a look at your face. Let's actually have a look at the, you know, the confluences, the curves, there's too much projection here. It's out of proportion. This isn't, you know. And so I just sort of spoke very much from, I guess, the heart and sort of saying that, look, you know, even if 
even if I said yes, you know, even if we went against all of these, you know, <laughs> principles and ethics, you're not going to feel any better, you know, and that's the aim of this. And it's, it, it actually, the, the benefit always has to outweigh any kind of risk. And at the moment, we're going to make you look worse if we put more in. And I find that that really tends to turn people around because even in that state, they don't want to look worse, right? Mm -hmm. They want to look better. But if you tell them that you're going to make them look worse by putting more in, they often kind of start to listen to you then. And look, it's just a case of, you know, she'd never had any skin treatment. She'd never even had a microdermabrasion. She'd never had anything. So I was like, okay, well, maybe if we try and, yeah, try and sort of funnel this, this health and wellness down the right path and just doing the odd skin peel and making her feel a little bit more like she's got glowy or dewing skin, you know, um, get her onto some good skin, good quality skincare. But, you know, even then in my notes, you know, I made sure for the dermal therapist that you need to be very careful here. This is clearly somebody with severely, severely body dysmorphic and, you know, the, the expectations and the management of it needs to be very, very, very kind of careful and, and um, a soft approach, I think. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that story yeah, and experience. Okay. Sounds yeah. like a very challenging conversation yeah. to have, but most work. It was, but it's kind of, yeah, it's also, it is also rewarding. I mean, it is why. Mm -hmm why we do this you know and I think yes I, I love to get amazing aesthetic results like the next person right um but it's really more about how those results make the patient feel is, is to why I keep doing this job right it's because it does it it's really impactful and I think it's kind of our duty of care to be open and honest and I think sometimes we don't feel comfortable having discussions about mental health and well-being and I'm you know, very much an advocate for that as well um and so yeah I think it's just actually being comfortable in, in having those conversations which is is difficult but it just takes experience I think absolutely so for patients that maybe realize themselves or they come to you and you are able to dissuade them from further treatments um what are the options to I guess, yeah, dissolve and um, scale back some of the work that's already been done. How can they be treated? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I guess depending on what type of filler has been injected will kind of impact the, the um, I guess, the treatment options, I suppose, in terms of, you know, um, dissolving. So um, really dissolving is more referred to for hyaluronic acid fillers. So the use of hyaluronidase is an enzyme that helps dissolve that hyaluronic acid gel. I think it really depends on the extent, like in this scenario, like I was mentioning with that patient, you know, I know that the option of dissolving was, was never going to be an option. Do you know what I mean? And really if I had gone down that path and said to her we need to dissolve the whole face, even if she had have agreed, there would have been a lot of psychological processing there that I would have, you know, probably borne the brunt of. So you know, before doing anything like that, you'd need to make sure that you've got psychological services, I think, in place to help the patient prior to. So I think it's really important that, you know, we, we manage that first and then the dissolving comes second if it's a severe case like that. But I think with people that have, you know, overfilled lips and, and things like that or perhaps, you know, migration onto the upper white cutaneous lip, I think it is about just having that discussion with them um, that really there's, there's no point in us trying to fill around to match 
the overfilled areas. We really just need to start back from scratch. You know, I kind of use it as like an analogy where you have your dining room table, or you have your dining room, and your dining room table is just way too big. You know, there's no point in me knocking the walls out and trying to make the dining room bigger. I'm just better off to get rid of that table, put it on marketplace, and buy a new table that fits. Right. And that is actually going to help suit that that place and that environment. So I think it's just having that conversation. They all they do go through a period of, you know, that they panic about, they worry about the deflation. Um, but it's it's spending time and getting them to understand how the enzyme works, how your hyaluronic acid will regenerate again. Um, and that how it really is in their best interest long term, because you know, in those areas, particularly that upper white lip, I mean that'll sit there forever. So it, at some point in their lifetime, they're going to need it dissolved um, because, yeah, it'll just, it just won't go. And the same for tear troughs as well, similar sort of scenario. Yeah, the amount of people that I, I've seen that I've desperately wanted to dissolve their tear troughs, but they are just, no, I would rather go with my lumpy tear troughs than to have a tear trough. And I'm like, but a baby has a tear trough. You know, like it just, they just this this whole notion of this hollowness and deflation is, is actually a genuine fear of patients. So, you know, even even still, I still don't get it right every time trying to trying to get them to see things the way the way we do. But you know. So for practitioners that want to learn more and access more support on this topic and many others, how can they join the Aesthetic Met Network? Yeah, no, absolutely. So we just literally going to the website, which is www.aestheticmet.com. Um, and just, yeah, it's a sign-up process, a subscription, obviously, model, which is really affordable. We've tried to make it just it's $348 a year, the cost of one mil of filler. So it's pretty much a, an easy an easy choice in my brain. Um, but look, within the portal, we've got a lot of great, you know, great resources. We've got a body dysmorphic section. There's Moben Master as well, who's um, an really Australia's main aesthetic radiologist who's kind of pioneering a lot of research in terms of the longevity of fillers. He's actually got a presentation in within the, the members area as well, which I know people find really interesting with some great images. So, um, and then, yeah, like I mentioned before, we had the, the advisory panel interviews. And so, yeah, you'll be able to see firsthand the experts' opinions on the same sort of matter. Thank you so much, Elle, for providing a great overview of overfilled syndrome and how doctors and practitioners can avoid and treat it and sharing your own experiences to help us all become familiar with it. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe so you can get updates whenever we post more. And please share it with others. And for more info, please go to healthcert.com.